hated that. I was really scared to have a movie of all the sins that I didn't repent of, like shown at the judgment bar in front of everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone. So like the five second version is that the, the book is a story about how an anxious, devout Mormon girl grows up to be a Lutheran pastor. I'm loved, I'm loved, I have inherent worth, I have inherent worth. But more than that, you know, it, it's really a meditation on belonging, on family, fundamentalism, healing, and grace. One of the loveliest definitions I've heard for what grace is comes from a theologian named Paul Tillich. And he says that grace is being accepted, and more than that, it's accepting that you are accepted. Grace has been like a safety net. Grace has been an assurance of the assurance of my belovedness that I'm loved, that I have inherent worth, that there is hope that then allows me to engage the world around me more honestly and openly um, from a new, more nuanced perspective that enables me to speak the truth when I need to because it, it's never I'm my fundamental belovedness is never at stake. I'm loved, I'm loved, I have inherent worth, I have inherent worth, I have inherent It's about learning how to reconcile and integrate seemingly irreconcilable and disparate parts of myself. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. Even by end this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 742 sealed an Unexpected Journey into the Heart of Grace, a conversation with author Katie Langston. And today I'm going to talk with Katie. You're also going to hear a few clips of throwbacks from John Hamer and Randy Snyder. And who knows, we might even have John and Randy come back in to talk about some of the ways I'm about to throw them under the bus. <laughs> but now let's get straight to my conversation with Katie. Here it is. Enjoy. Okay, Katie. Thank, thank you for coming on Infants on Thrones. And I just want to say from the beginning, so you reached out to me maybe a month ago. You sent me a PDF version of your book and I didn't even open it until this morning when I went, oh, I'm talking with Katie this afternoon. I, I need to look at this. And so I started reading through it and it just sucked me in. It Like your writing style is so good. And I don't want to embarrass you by like gushing all over you at the beginning, but it like it really... 
it, it's so simple and heartfelt and beautiful. And it's like this poetic tapestry of words that wraps up my mind in this like Mormon tapestry that we all share different parts of, but you know, you've got your experiences. I've got my experiences and just listening to you share your perspective of being a Mormon girl with the things that you loved, the things that you were afraid of Mm -hmm. and just that whole unfolding. I mean, it it really was like watching a flower grow and bloom, (laughs) like going through these different stages and then, and then you'd, uh, have a chapter about your ancestors interspersed in there. And it's just, it, it's told so beautifully. Um, I, there are so many ideas in it that I'd really like to spend some time in the future, maybe uh, zooming in on some of these questions. But so first, I, I just want to say thank you so much for reaching out oh, to me. Thank you for thank sharing you. the book. And um, yeah, t- tell, tell me what, what made you approach me on Infants on Thrones? Why did you bring this into my world. <laughs> yeah, well, um, so, you know, I, the, 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 the book is a sort of a, a story of an unfolding, you know, kind of, um, uh, you know, we in the Mormon internet world, we call them faith crises or faith yeah. transitions or whatever right. you want to, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, that took place over a period of about, well, it, it tells a story of sort of my my whole life, but 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 in particular, there was about a decade in there when I was really really wrestling with my faith and my identity as a Mormon. Um, and you know, when you um, when you kind of go through some of those uh, you know difficult, more angsty periods, yeah. <laughs> which was you know back in the probably you know early. 2010s, right? In the 20 teens, I guess we might call them. I don't know. Um, I listened to Infants on Thrones quite a bit mm. because it would always make me laugh. It would make me think and it, you know, helped me sort of blow off some steam. I remember listening to it and while I'm on a run or, a, you know, drive or, or whatever. Um, and, uh, but I hadn't listened too much, um, recently but then i went back and i not as many people have (laughs) (laughs) sure sure. it's changed yeah yeah yeah. but i went back and and i saw uh recently that you'd had some folks on and you were talking about you know spirituality and Mm. meaning making and sort of you know had had this kind of um uh pivot a little bit It, it looked like to me in terms of what kinds of topics you were discussing and I thought, oh, I should I should reach out to to Glenn and see if he'd be up for you know for a conversation. So that that's that's why you're part of my yeah part of that whole deconstructive process and the I don't know John John Hamer is a friend of mine and and hearing him sing badly I have a, I have a... <laughs> problem is all inside your head it seems one to me one thing you will discover when you get next to one another is everybody needs some priesthood power priesthood power from one data point we've drawn a John Hamer says no. I know John John Hamer is a friend of mine, and and hearing him sing badly, I have a, <laughs> I have a very <laughs> I have a very strong memory of that. Yeah, he's done some great singing uh, with um, this in the past. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I, I wondered, as I was reading through different portions of your book, you, you mentioned a community of Christ at some point. And mm-hmm. John, was John one of those pastors that really helped you through this transition? Yeah, I mean, I de- definitely I think, you know, he um, for a lot of folks uh, that that sort of come through the 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 crisis period, I think he has been a really influential voice in um, kind of helping people contextualize and make sense of their, you know, their experience, make sense of perhaps faith, or at least give them uh, the opportunity to see that there are other ways to approach Mm -hmm. faith. Um, And so that was, that was really, really helpful. Um, I, I met John, so I mostly, you know, listened to him on podcasts and, yeah. and then got, I got to be acquainted with him um, uh, a little bit after that when I started kind of being involved in the Salt Lake City Community of Christ congregation. This was back when Robin Linkhart was, she, and she's, a, she's an apostle now in Community of Christ, but she was um, on special assignment when she was a 70 uh, pastoring the Salt Lake congregation. So I met her through um, Lindsay Park, who's a friend of mine as well, um, and um, and then through her I got a chance to meet John and you know spend some time with him. I think in, during Sunstone one time we were either both staying we were either both staying at this house or we were hanging out at this house. Mm-hmm. I can't remember, but um, but yeah, those the the Community of Christ folks um, were really helpful, even though I didn't end up you know, in that tradition. Um, I'm, I'm really good friends with a lot of them and, and super grateful for the, you know, for the outreach that they've done to, 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 to Mormons in crisis. Yeah. All right. So, so for, for listeners right now who don't know what your book is about, why don't you give me just a a quick overview? How, How would, how would you describe it? What, what is the story that it tells and what are some of the main things that you focus on? Yeah. So like the, the, the five-second version is yeah. that the, the book is a story about how uh, an anxious, devout Mormon girl grows up to be a Lutheran pastor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but more than that, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's really a meditation on belonging, on family, uh, fundamentalism, uh, healing, and grace. Um, and it's it's about learning how to reconcile and integrate seemingly irreconcilable and disparate parts uh, of of myself. Um, yes. And by extension, hopefully, also offer a window for readers to be like, oh, you know, I certainly no two stories are the same, but my hope for the book is that, you know, folks can read it and be like, oh, I can see something, uh, maybe an avenue that I didn't know was there before. Um, as I think the telling of our stories is, is transformative and, and important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned grace mm-hmm. and that to me seemed like it was really the uh, if, if the Book of Mormon is the keystone of the Mormon religion, then grace <laughs> is kind of the, 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 the big keystone of what your experience was in that uh, transition from anxious Mormon girl full of scrupulosity mm-hmm. um, growing into a Lutheran minister. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so tell, tell me a little bit, what is, what is grace? Because as a, as, as a Mormon, that word always seemed kind of wishy-washy mm. to me, mm-hmm. but uh, t- tell me what, what has your experience been with, with grace and what is it? I think one of the loveliest definitions I've heard for what grace is comes from a theologian named Paul Tillich. Mm. And he says that grace is being accepted. And more than that, it's accepting that you are accepted. Mm. Um, And my experience has been that grace has been like a safety net. Grace has been an assurance of the assurance that of my belovedness, that I'm loved, that I am have inherent worth, that, um, that, that there is hope um, that then allows me to engage the world around me more honestly and openly um, from a new, more nuanced perspective um, that enables me to speak the truth when I need to, because it, it's never, I'm my fundamental belovedness is never at stake. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I, I took a couple of screenshots, um, some things that I wanted to read from your book and have you respond to. And I don't sure. remember if this was one I did or not. Let me take a look real quick. Yeah. This, this one wasn't one that I, I wrote down, but you, you, there's a, a conversation that you have at one point in the book where you called your dad and mm. you said, I just wanted to let you know in a, more, in a moment. And the way that you said it was either in brutal honesty or complete recklessness, you know, something like <laughs> right. that. I just wanted to let you know, I've decided that I'm no longer just going to go along with what you say to try and keep the peace. Yeah. And he said, I didn't know that you were doing that, Katie. And you're like, yeah. that's all I've been doing my entire life that that was a powerful moment to read Hmm. what was that like to experience Hmm. um i remember i was shaking yeah you know when i picked up the phone i actually called i called my mom and my dad but it was for my dad you know that that i made the call um and and it was a conversation that then also took some time to live into, mm-hmm. you know, Yeah. like you can say, Hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna live just because you want me to do it. I'm not yeah. going to do that anymore. Uh, but then when your entire life, that's been your pattern and it's been the first thought in your head, right? It takes some time to, to undo that. Yeah. Um, but I remember it was a pivotal moment just to, just to a admit to myself that's what I'd been doing, yeah, and then b to say out loud to, you know, someone that I'd been trying to please my yeah. whole life, yeah, and to say, you know, even if I don't please you as as much as I did, or or even at all, which thankfully hasn't turned out to be the case it was it's been touch and go here and there you know uh that that i need to um i'm I'm no i'm no longer gonna live out of that i'm no gonna no longer gonna live out of the fear of your rejection but instead i'm gonna live out of the confidence i have 
in my being accepted. Yeah. So, so when I asked you to, to talk about grace, mm-hmm. you said something uh, uh, about being your authentic self. And I, mm-hmm. I think what you just said right there is no longer living with that constant fear of being rejected by other mm-hmm. people because, because grace is that acceptance. It's that unconditional love and acceptance. And right. I, I really loved the way that you brought this out in, in your book that being raised in the Mormon culture, you were, you were taught very much conditional love, you know, the if X, then Y Yep. yep. <laughs> and instead of discovering, Oh wait, um, God, this universe, nature, however you want to frame, whatever that thing is, is full of this unconditional love and grace. It's the, the man-made structure of Mormonism that's trying to impose its fear mm-hmm. <laughs> onto uh, the, the, the culture. And so much of what you write about um, is, it just highlights that. And, and mm. I didn't feel like it was ever preachy, like you were hitting me over the head with a hammer and, to make the point, but <laughs> okay. it, it was just these, these very beautiful, simple moments. So I, I, I want to bring up one of them here. Um, one, one of the first stories that you tell, I think you were maybe three or five years old, you were in a car, you were in your car seat mm-hmm. and you were doing something and yep. your mom saw you doing it. And she responded to you in a certain way. And then you responded to her and it put this program into your mind that was basically what you said is I, you, you cannot trust your own body and you can do something horribly wrong without even knowing it. Hmm. So could you talk a little bit about what that experience and how that ties into, yeah, I, I, and probably going to keep coming back to this metaphor of a flower that's blooming, you know, like sprouting from a seed and going along this whole growth process. But this was one of those early germination things. It was setting up some, like the parameters for your growth and some of this contrast you were going to be experiencing. So tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I will say um, sort of as a, as a funny anecdote to, to get into that, you know, I have a, I have a 14 year old daughter Yeah. and uh, she said, um, she started to read my book, but, but, but the, the fact that there's childhood masturbation in the first mm-hmm. <laughs> chapter made her too embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. But anyway, just to, you know, name what, what precisely we're talking about there. And isn't it funny because for as much as, as, as their mother, you would want to say, you don't need to be embarrassed about this. You don't right. need to feel any shame about this. Like she's going to do what she wants. <laughs> right. She's feel how she, until she <laughs> exactly. gets to that point. Yeah. Right. Right. Way. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, y- y- you think about um, just, just, just sort of the, the, the lesson getting ingrained really, really early on that, um, that your, your body isn't safe, right? Mm-hmm. Like your body doing what it does, it's natural <laughs> development, mm-hmm. um, is something to be afraid of. It's something to be ashamed of. It's something to, um, hide. It's something to, um, resist, um, and, and how that experience really did kind of set the stage for some of the 
some of the more developed kind of scrupulosity and anxiety um, that I experienced later. Um, and it, it certainly, you know, it didn't help, doesn't help anyone that, you know, Mormons talk about, you know, sexual purity as if it's like the sin next to murder <laughs> that, mm. that, that helps no one. Um, but even still just that, you know, just that sense of something normal and natural being like deeply pathologized. Um, that's, you know, that, <laughs> that's really scary. And, and that can get in deep, I think, uh, into a kid. Yeah. The, the, when you got baptized, mm -hmm. it seemed that you were both attracted to and terrified of this idea of perfection. Hmm. And this goes into the scrupulosity part. Um, t tell me a little bit more about that. Like what, what was, what was this ideal of perfection for you and, and how did you experience it? Hmm. I think when I was young, you know, it was about, it was about not doing the bad things um it was about making sure that like every single little sin had been sin i could put that in scare quotes right every single little sin had been um acknowledged and accounted right. for and yeah. recognized and named um uh, so that I wouldn't end up with like a black mark, you know, on my, on my ledger or I don't, did you, did you grow up being told that like at the judgment bar, they're going to like show a movie of all the sins that you didn't repent of? Uh, yeah. I mean, sort of, sort of yeah. <laughs> like, I hated that. I was really scared to have a movie of all the sins that I didn't repent of, like shown at the judgment bar in front of everyone. Especially since you had this idea in your mind that you could do something horribly wrong without even knowing it. Exactly. So, so even if you're doing your absolute best to stay perfectly clean and pure, you might end up having unpure thoughts about the bishop. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like things that you can't what? even control. <laughs> right. What? Exactly. Who did that? <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, and, and then you're, you're just carrying around so much self-manufactured guilt and shame because mm -hmm. you're doing what you think is the right thing. And then you, you put these, these prayers, like I recognized some of the language in your pr prayer, please forgive mm -hmm. me for all of my sins mm -hmm. just over and over and mm -hmm. over again constantly pleading and, you know, please forgive me for all of my sins, even the ones that I don't even know that I'm doing, especially the ones that I don't even know that I'm doing. Yeah. And did you ever feel like you were forgiven of those things up until your moment of finding grace? I don't think I ever did. No. Um, part of that has to do with the, the framework was fundamentally false, right? That we have to keep this like painstaking accounting of everything we've done and make sure that we clear the slate in order to, you know, we have to apply the atonement like a skin cream <laughs> to make yeah. sure that, that it's covered up that blemish, you know? So that framework in and of itself is, is um, impossible and completely unhealthy. Yeah. 
but then also that's the nature of scrupulosity, right? Like I don't, scrupulosity, I don't, you've, I don't know if you've had folks on that have talked about it before, but it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's clinically, it's a diagnosable form of OCD. It's yeah. OCD that has, that takes on a religious, uh, the content of the obsessions and compulsions have to do with like religion and morality. That's the nature of it. Yeah. And so, so part of it is the framework that, 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 set me up to not be able to have any breathing room. But then the other part is, is that that's what OCD and scrupulosity do. They, they put your brain on a loop and they, you know, you might feel better for a minute, but then it's going to come back again and again and again. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it took a very long time well into adulthood to be able to learn how to, manage that and and to be able to um to let go <laughs> you know some of the yeah some of that anxiety and, and and especially letting go of what you don't know because exactly. you, you you watched this alfred hitchcock yeah movie at one point with what it was gregory peck uh-huh. who had amnesia because he had done this horrible thing in his childhood, had this horrible blocked memory. And then finally you figure out at the end. And then that made you think, what, what are the horrible things that I've done that I've blocked out? Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which by the way, that's a, it's a, that's a, it's kind of a creepy movie. I went back (laughs) and I rewatched it when I was writing this. What's the name of it again? It's, it's called Spellbound. Spellbound. right, Right. And, um, and like Salvador Dali, created these dream sequences for it so it's like very it's a very freudian film mm. uh anyway when i went back and rewatched it as a grown-up as i was working on this book i was like that was weird that my parents had so much <laughs> but anyway <laughs> yeah oh, god bless them it makes me want to go and watch it again i'm sure i've seen it but yeah, it's been yeah. so long since i've seen any hitchcock films i need to get yeah. back into hitchcock it's and the therapist like has a love affair with her client and i'm like that's not yeah what we would do these days (laughs) that's not what we would do these days yeah (laughs) anyway yeah well um you 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 mentioned therapies and therapists and i Mm. i i've gone back to school i'm getting a master's right now in uh, clinical mental health counseling and last month we were we were studying the theories all, all the very theories and one is called choice theory or reality theory and it was developed by a guy named William Glasser and as part of my learning about this he 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 took um i think it's Stephen Covey's highly effective habit or you know like the seven of habits uh-huh. of highly effective people yeah. and he did a spin on that and he what he wanted to do is say you know basically as a man thinketh, so is he the way that you see the world, the way that you think about things is the way that things are going to show up for you. And, and I thought that, that you did an excellent job of showing that in, in your writing, but, but he said, so if, if people really want to create inner peace to find this, he doesn't use the word grace, but he's talking about grace, basically Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. acceptance of, of who you are unconditionally, no matter what, we need to get away from what he calls external control psychology, hmm. where we think that grace is going to be given to us from the outside or that love or worthiness hmm. or validation, that, that this is going to come from 
others external from us mm. and really change our mindset that it, it, it comes from us. So we are the source of, we can be the source of it. And so he, he did these seven deadly habits of external control psychology, which are criticizing, blaming, complaining, nagging, threatening, punishing, and bribing. Hmm. And so because I, because I read this recently, I was kind of filtering your story through the external control psychology. And then he, he compares it to what he calls the seven caring habits. And if you, hmm. if you are able to change those habits of external control psychology and create in yourself these seven caring habits, you're going to find more peace of mind. And, and the seven caring habits are supporting, encouraging, listening, accepting, trusting, respecting, and negotiating differences. And so, mm -hmm. again, this is fresh in my mind. So I'm filtering your entire story through this paradigm right here. Yeah. But I, I think about the time when your, your dad found out that you and your sisters were struggling with the church. Right. And what did he start doing? He was hmm. complaining. He was blaming. He was threatening. He was punishing. He was bribing. Yeah. What can I do to get you to come back to the thing? Like there's so much of this external control psychology, not just in the world, but, but in the Mormon church and in our own minds. You also talked about there's times where uh, somebody will leave the Mormon church and they'll go into a new space, but they'll carry these same types of habits yes. with them. And it, what, what, what I saw in your story, and again, I haven't, I haven't finished the last section of it. Um, but this, this transition of going from a place of feeling very powerless because you're trapped in this external control psychology model and thinking, I have to do something to get the grace of God, to get the forgiveness of God, please forgive me of all my sins as if right. that's not the default nature of things. Right. And once you dropped those habits of external control psychology and really brought them internal, you started to feel so much more freedom. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, absolutely. I think that the, that, that's really interesting. Um, I, I, I hadn't been familiar with that, um, with that paradigm, but, yeah. but I absolutely think that, you know, that, that the Mormon church in particular is, is set up very much almost like, almost to um, an extreme extent to, to train you to <laughs> look for external validation, right? I mean, that's the nature of, of worthiness interviews. Yeah. That's the point of being excluded from the temple or other ceremonies. If you're unworthy, right? It's this, it's this, um, it's this m kind of meta structure that functions, um, as as a controlling kind of overarching um, system uh, in order to coerce out of people compliance. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I think that's pretty, it's pretty damaging um, even if you're not tormented by it. You know what I mean? Like, like I was tormented by it because of my particular psychology. But I think about other people who maybe 
aren't as um, sensitive. <laughs> Maybe their consciences aren't as sensitive or, or what have you. Uh, and instead, they use it, they, they use it as a weapon, they can weaponize it, right? It's like, um, um, I, because I meet the checklist and have this external validation, now I can like, look down on you. Now I can judge you. Now I can shame you. Yeah. Um, so either way it's, 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 it can be pretty toxic. Yeah. Yeah. And th there, there were several times in your book where you presented something that, that was kind of like, not, not, not necessarily because now I'm righteous, I can look and I can judge you, but, mm. but that where somebody is taking their own internal fears, insecurities, and they're projecting it onto somebody mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. And you as a child were taking that in as, oh, well, this is just how things are. Mm -hmm. So, so for example, um, there was something with your mom where she came back from something and she was feeling really happy because this woman that she talked to told her that she was beautiful. And you're like, yeah. well, you are beautiful. And she said, you don't really think that Katie, you're actually ashamed of me. Yeah. And you weren't like, there was nothing about you. Like you just thought that this woman was amazing yeah. and, and that she would think like, so that was her reality that she was carrying around because she was ashamed of herself. Right. Exactly. And so she projected that out onto you right? Exactly. and didn't really see who you were or what you were. Cause she was so wrapped up in this, there was, there was another one where you told your friends, um, I think this was when you decided not to go to, uh, Utah State was that it the universe the U University of Utah University of Utah for, yeah. the, for the acting program right right because um your dad's friend talked about the evils of the acting industry and right. you've got very conservative parents and so yeah. you decided okay I'm I, I'm going to choose my faith instead of choosing my passion for, right. for this and your friends told you you've always thought that you're better than us yes and yeah. they had no idea your internal world was you were always like I'm less than, I'm less than, I'm, right. I'm a sinner. Right. I need, like they had no idea. So they right. were projecting their own insecurities onto their, on, onto you as well. W when you were writing those moments, mm. did you have that in mind that you knew that they were projecting this onto you and that you were taking it and you were holding it as if this were, were true? And that was part of the confused, the part of, part of the cocoon <laughs> that formed around <laughs> you that you had to emerge out of and break down those false beliefs. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, that's very insightful. I don't, um, I don't even know that I had those words in particular in mind. Mm. Um, you know, uh, as you, as you mention it, as you name it, it feels very resonant. Yeah. So I like, I'm like, Oh yeah, that was going on. That's yeah. absolutely true. Um, I, but I don't know that, that, um, that in so many words, I, I thought about it in those terms. It was more just like, um, it was more just like the, the way I experienced it was, was feeling, you know, misunderstood, yeah. feeling alone. Yeah. Um, because they did, they, they were set, they were telling you, this is how you are. And you're like, that's not how I am. Right. Right. It's not. Right. Yeah. 
but I was very agreeable too at the at the yeah. time. And so then, yeah. So like what like you said, then I would internalize it and be like, oh, maybe maybe I am that way. Yeah, maybe it, maybe it is. <laughs> maybe me. I am. Maybe that's maybe that's just one of those sins that I didn't know I was sinning that I've got exactly. to repent from, and I'm still broken. And but exactly. they can see it, and I can't. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That there there was another thing that you said later on. Um, and, and this was after you had this moment where you first experienced grace for the first mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this was, you, you went and saw Elder Bednar talk somewhere mm -hmm. in Moscow, Idaho, and mm -hmm. he told you what he told you. <laughs> and, but, but you said something about how you had felt the reality of the grace of God and that it wasn't this uh, LDS meritocracy that was an impotent trick. Yeah. And I, first of all, a meritocracy, which is all part of this external control psychology, yeah. that whatever you do is where you get your worth from, from the right. external world. Yeah, yeah, and it's totally. granted to you by the patriarchy. And yeah. you called it a trick, meaning it's not real. It's not actual, but impotent, an impotent trick. And it just, it, it made me think, just like your mom was projecting her stuff onto you, your friends were projecting her stuff onto you. The the leaders of the Mormon church project their insecurities onto the entire church. And in, that's why we have this impotent trick of meritocracy hmm. because they're afraid of not being good enough. Yeah. And then that, that creates this whole culture. We've been doing this Right. It's like a rough because stone that's rolling. how they. It, it's like a rough stone rolling. It's, it's like a smooth stone that's rolling that and getting too. all these edges on it. Yeah, actually. It's exactly. The <laughs> it is. It's like now it's like more jagged and more damaging, right? right? But no, I think I I think that's really true. Um, I think that you know that they're victims of the system as well, um, because they were also raised in that same system. At the same time, they're the only ones with the authority to change it. So I don't let them off the hook. But they you know? aren't, though. You changed it. You hmm. changed your entire world. Hmm. Right? You, you have changed your entire world. That's hmm. what this whole book is about. This, this transformation that you went through. And like I, I, I know it's kind of weird when people hear me say, you should be thankful for the Mormon church for what they did to you. Because, you know it was, it was hard, yeah. but you, you bumped your head against this thing that wasn't what you felt was true until you felt what was true. And that's how you knew <laughs> because mm. you knew what it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. You knew what it wasn't. And then you know how you want to be in the world. So, so what was it that, hmm. that, that had you gravitate towards Towards, towards Christianity and embracing mm -hmm. a view of God that was different than the Mormon view of God. And I, I, I think the experience that you had in the MTC with your grand grandmother yes. was probably a very key part of that. So could you talk mm -hmm. about that a little bit and then just that transition? Sure. Yeah. So I, I talk, um, the, my grandmother was a really important figure in my life. She was, um, someone that I looked up to quite a bit. She was a convert to the church, um, the LDS church. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and, but she died when I was, you know, 20, uh, just about to turn 21. Um, so as I think about it now, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of struck by how I very much, 
I had only a little bit of kind of adult time with her. And, and even then, not really, because are you really a, an adult at 18 and 19, you know? Um, so I, I, I wonder how I would view <laughs> a lot of this had she lived a bit longer. But mm-hmm. um, but she still was and, and remains um, sort of a, a, a person in my life that, that was really important. Um, she was always very kind and very funny and smart and gracious and just someone that I looked up to so much. Um, and when she passed away, uh, right before I put in my papers for my mission, um, I, I kind of shoved my feelings down, which was something I did a lot of where I didn't want to acknowledge that I was hurting or look at why I was sad too much. It's like, well, you know, we'll see her again. I'm going to, I'm going to push off the grief. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pretend like it, it doesn't hurt as much as it does. Um, but when I was in the MTC, um, a few months later, I was really, really struggling with my mental health. I was very anxious. I was depressed. Um, and I just wanted to be able to talk to or see my grandma. Yeah. And I had an experience of kind of sensing her, you know, with me. Um, you prayed, you prayed to, didn't, didn't you pray? And you said, yeah. father, if she's with you right now, would you, would you send let her me, and just yeah, talk let to me. her for a minute? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and had this experience of, you know, of, of love and, yeah. and of grace and of acceptance, uh, in that moment, just, just feeling that she was, that she was with me. Um, and so, yeah, I do think that that's, that's a key reason why I kind of have retained a belief in God, but. Well, and what, even, what I remember from your book yeah, that, you, that yeah. she told you was the universe is so expansive yeah. and amazing and it's not what you think it is. It's yeah. so much bigger. It's so it's bigger. much more. Right. And that, that, that kind of stretched your mind in a way to go, mm-hmm. oh, could there be something right other than what I've been told this is? Right. Like a glimpse of a glimpse of transcendence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, so how do you go from, from there? Mm-hmm. To you, you still spent several years in the church and going through the motions. And I, I, I do, I do want to read this one sure. part from your book. Um, th- this is after you had this experience of grace, and maybe you could talk about that as well. But you said sure. after that night, I continued to participate in the church for years. I even regained my temple recommend. I went to the interviews with cold pragmatism and told them what they wanted to hear. I convinced myself it was for the greater good, for the greater good, (laughs) hot fuzz, to have credibility enough to speak of grace as a fully participating member of the community, but it wasn't true. I was a liar and I knew it. I'm not proud of it, but in a world gone mad, what wouldn't you do or say to preserve the only home you've ever known? Still, that night signaled a key shift. I no longer attempted to excuse the worthiness system nor the compromises I made to appease it. 
It was a bureaucracy to manage, a price I had to pay to belong. But even as they extracted the sum from me, even as I chose to surrender it to them, my inner conflict ceased. It was a transaction, my silence for their facade, nothing more and nothing less. I knew the bargain I was making and that God was nowhere near it. All right. So my question to you, like when I read that, that mm -hmm. last thing, that God was nowhere near it, felt really strong hmm. to me. T tell me what you mean by that, that God is nowhere near it. So my, um, I, <laughs> this is a, trying to think of the best way to answer this. It's a, it's a very good question. Really insightful question. Um, so I think I'll start, I think I'll start here. Um, I would have been one of those people, you know, that I was, I was one of those people who tried really, really hard, even after I knew the church wasn't quote unquote true in the yeah. way they said it was. Yeah to stay yeah um i listened to all the podcasts yeah. <laughs> you know i read eugene england and yeah. i you know talked to dan witherspoon and Jana reese and they're yeah. still you know friends of mine and you know folks that i admire and, and look up to and but it was it was very much like i'm gonna i'm gonna figure this out you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. This is my tribe thing. I'm going to, mm -hmm. you know, just agree to disagree on basically everything of importance, <laughs> but I don't want to leave and disappoint everyone and complicate my life this much. But always, always in the back of my mind, there was this wrestle, this fundamental concern, and this, um, this, um, just this understanding that the whole system that is set up around worthiness interviews, the whole system that is set up around temple recommend, and frankly, the temple itself, like all of that, that that whole system is completely antithetical to the experience of grace that I had and that I have had. I guess I could say the experiences of grace that I've had. And so every time <laughs> I tried to make it work, I would sort of be hit in the face with this. Just this understanding that, that, it's, that it's not, they're not compatible. It's not compatible in any way. And so for a time, the way I managed that was to lie, right? For a time, the way I managed it was to say, well, that's wrong, but, um, but I'm going to just go along with it because to not go along with it is is to excommunicate yourself, right? In a, in a very real way, whether or not you actually get called in to a, to a court of love, you know, to, 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 to say out loud, this isn't right, this isn't okay. It, 
you know, that's the end of your belonging in, in the culture. And so I decided for a time that it was more important to me to be in the culture um, than to like reckon with what it would mean if I really lived as I believed about what grace was. Um, uh, so I did do that for a while, but it, it didn't sit very well with me and it didn't last super long uh, because at the end of the day, I knew in my like body <laughs> yeah. that it wasn't, that it wasn't right. And that I wasn't being, I wasn't being honest about not just, not just like, it's not like the dishonesty in terms of I drank coffee and I like said yes, that I obeyed the word of wisdom, which I totally did. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, well, you can interpret the word of wisdom to mean any number of things, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, so it wasn't, that wasn't the dishonesty that I'm talking about. Um, it was the, it was the dishonesty of living into a fundamental premise that I knew was completely antithetical to reality. So when you're saying antithetical to reality, um, we're, we're talking about re reality you're, you're, you're seeing as God, which I want to ask you about. Sure. And associated also with grace, which is with this grace. unconditional right. love, acceptance mm -hmm. of all things. You don't have to earn it. You don't right. have to do the right thing. You could even do the wrong thing. Right. And you're accepted fully with love, which is antithetical to that meritocracy system and all of the interviews and the worthiness and even asking a question like, do you drink coffee? Because if not, then you're not worried, you know, things like that. You're exactly. saying these right. things don't, don't, don't match. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I've got a really tw tricky question for you. Uh -oh. now, and I'm not sure which, which uh, I'm not sure which one to do. Um, maybe, maybe let me start by asking you how you view God today. Mm. Like what, what, what is, when you talk about God, what, what kind of image do you have in your mind? What, what meaning does that word have for you? When I think of God um, these days, I have in my mind, um, there's actually a painting that I think of um, that I'll try to find and maybe I can send it to you or you can link to it or something, but it's yeah. this, it's, 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 um, it's a it's a painting of it's an sort of an impressionistic I don't know I'm I'm probably saying the wrong words because I'm actually not an art scholar, um, but it's it's uh, it feels like an impressionistic painting of movement mm. uh, and of a dance. And the the imagination that that I've developed um, over time about God is that of um, of a dynamic interplay, give and take. Now, in the Christian tradition, we call it the Trinity. Right? I'm going to pull out a fancy theological word, but all what that really means is that that God in God's self. And I say God's self so as not to use a gendered pronoun, but right. Mm. So God within God is a dance of love. 
traditionally you call the 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 persons right of of god father son holy spirit non-gendered language can sometimes be used creator sustainer redeemer there's other words you can use you know to sort of describe that but but basically what it means is that existence itself comes about because this um this being this energy this entity in the universe loves within itself Mm. and the ways in which that love is expressed is on every plane so it's both universal both and it is Mm -hmm. universal it is deeply particular it is all-encompassing while at the same time um at the same time is individual, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, you know, that's some of the imagination that I have in my mind when I think of, when I think of God, it's a, another fancy theological term for it is the ground of being, yeah. right? That's, that's also Tillich, um, that it's the, it's, 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 it's what creates and holds reality. Okay. Interesting. I, 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 I remember many years ago, I think it was Randy and I did a PPI for John Hamer and <laughs> Randy was really trying to get at, get John to define God. And mm. I, I don't remember if he did or not, but mm. now I'm tempted to see if I can go back and find that and insert what he said after what you just said. I think that, I would, be, that would be really fun to hear. I'd, <laughs> love, to, I'd love to see what Let's see said. if I can, can find that. If, if I was ever to convert to believing again, it would be to your God. But the issue I have with your God is he doesn't seem very accessible to the right. masses. And my God, my God, why doesn't find your keys? He does not. <laughs> he does not find your keys. At did all. not find your keys. Yeah. That's no. The, yeah. Well, but, and but, it's but not what even I'm a saying. It, what, what I'm saying right. is this God, he, she, it, whatever. Um, why? Why does he hide himself so carefully from the masses? Sir, why did you take such pains to hide yourself? Because there's there's not, a, you know, I don't relatively know speaking. I don't know that it's not he anyway. I don't know that God, uh, she, it, divine, whatever. Fine is hidden from anybody because it depends on how, again, we're defining the divine. And so in as much as the divine could be defined as everything. And it is all-encompassing, everything that's all around us, all of our thought, everything that is spiritual, the entire realm of ideas, all of uh, the universe, all of knowledge, human knowledge, everything that we have accumulated, all of that can be encompassed within the divine. And in as much as that's the case, that's not hidden. So, so, so what, what I hear you saying, you, you started with that that picture, that impressionist thing, but it's like in motion, which mm-hmm. I get the sense of you're saying you can't really pin it down. You, no, you, you, you can't right. really. And it's, it's not like I'm going to show the picture of two bearded men appearing to Joseph Smith and, you know, like, correct, you know, but, but right. that it's the, it's pretty much everything. Do, but do, right. do you think that it is everything or that there are some things that are God and some things that are not God? That is a good question. So yeah, I would definitely, I, I would say, so, okay. 
I'm going to try to say I've tried to explain this to people before. And every yeah. time I do, they look at me like I'm out to lunch. So I'll try it on you we're, as well. As far as I'm concerned, Katie, we're all out to lunch. We're all okay, grasping good. at smoke. We're trying to figure <laughs> exactly. out what this is. It's like you said at the beginning of your book, you know, like the, the story I'm telling would have been different 10 years ago. It'll probably be different 10 years from now. Right. The idea that we have of God, it's it's evolving. It's changing. So right. I, I'm just curious to know, like, where are you right now with with what that means to you. Yeah. So um, there's a theologian and her name is Catherine something. And I've forgotten her last name because I'm, right. I'm, a, I'm a bad uh, <laughs> seminarian. I'm You're gonna forgiven. Get, I'm gonna, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so she's been influential in my thinking because she, she talks about, um, this this question of difference, right? So, so what you're really getting at is um, kind of I'm not going to use it pan, pantheism versus mm. panentheism. There's some of these other kind of words about it. Um, but she talks about um, how one of the things that really marks the Jewish as well as the Christian traditions is this like this sense of God's otherness. Mm. Um, but that that has too often been used to imply um, a sort of um, distance, mm -hmm. right, from from God and things that are not God. Yeah. And instead, she says that, and I and I think I think that this is getting at it. Um, she says that the that we are used to thinking of difference in exclusionary terms, meaning like there's this thing and it can't be the same as this other thing. Right. Because by definition, if you're, if you're, if you're one type of thing, then you're not the, the second type of thing. And that's right. the kind of difference that, that, that is often talked about, especially in let's say Christianity, you know, and you, you probably, if you went on a mission and you argued with evangelicals, like you heard that, right? Like God is. I went to Japan. So. Okay. So they, 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 they did not have any, <laughs> not <so> <laughs> that was not a question for no, you there. But, no, no. but, but she says, um, uh, she says that, that, that actually what makes God different is not that God is one type of thing to the exclusion of another type of thing, but rather that it is within God that all types of difference are held. Mm. Yeah. And with, that that's with, with the, the distinction. And that's what this grace is, really, that you're talking right, about. Right, right. Yeah. And, and that that's the distinction between what, like, us who are not God and God who is God, you know, is that is that in God, all types of difference are held, whereas we can't hold... Yeah. We can hold multitudes, but I would argue that we can't hold everything. All right. Thank you for answering that question. Now I'm going to throw you the curveball. Okay, here we go. You ready? Okay. Yeah. So what, what does this amorphous God who is full of grace and love and acceptance for everyone, what, what does he think about the Mormon church and this meritocracy? Hmm. <laughs> and I'm sorry that I used the word he. It's just a habit. It's okay. I'm not yeah. offended. Um. I think 
Now, far be it for me to speak for God, because I think any time... Oh, no, I'm giving you permission to. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm giving you permission to with the caveat that we know that it's not right. It's just what okay, you're good. thinking. That's it's good. just what you're thinking right here and right now yeah. as we're working through all this. Yeah. Um, I think that to the extent and in the places where Mormonism and, and the Mormon church genuinely, truly produces service, kindness, um, love, care, those kinds of things, um, that, you know, that, that any, any time those types of values are found like that, I would hopefully not be going out on a limb to say that God is pleased with that, right? That that's, that that's okay. I do think that, um, in the areas where there is coercion, where there is ruling by fear and domination, um, where there's, you know, fundamental dishonesty about yeah. the past, right? That those types of things, um, I don't think would be particularly pleasing yeah. to God. And and so this is where we get into that problem of evil thing. So why? If there there are there are certain things about the Mormon Church that the God would extend grace towards, mm -hmm. um, and others would judge as being and, and condemn as being mm -hmm. not right, mm -hmm. why why allow that to happen? Why not just snuff it all out so that it's just the good? That is a really good question. <laughs> And I, you know, unfortunately, I don't know that I have anything particularly, you know, um, unique with that. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know why. And, and I always get nervous when people try to solve the problem of evil by <laughs> defending God. Mm. Because I think what that actually does is defend evil. Mm. Right. It says, well, um, it's like it's like in 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 Job, right, in the biblical mm -hmm. book of Job, um, the all these horrible things happen to Job. Which, by the way, is a poem and it's not mm -hmm. literal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just a, it's a thought exercise. Mm -hmm. But all these terrible things happen to Job and um, he's sitting in sackcloth and ashes and. His friends show up and for the first three days, they just sit with him. And then they ruin it by trying to explain what happened and why. Um, to a certain extent, it's, it's less a question of, um, for, for me, it's less a question of, you know, trying to explain why evil exists uh, and rather um, think about what is a compassionate, loving response in the midst of it when someone else is going through, you know, horrible shit because someone died or they were abused or, you know, their building in Miami collapsed. I mean, whatever. Right. Yeah. Um. Or with myself too, right? To have that same kind of compassion uh, and to sit with it and not necessarily need to 
explain why um, that doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> no, I, at but all. I, I love that you went to Job um, and, and it made me think back to this external control psychology, hmm. those seven deadly habits, because when, when Job's friends come, what are they doing? They're criticizing, they're blaming, right. they're complaining, yeah. they're nagging, they they're are threatening, they're punishing, they're bribing. They're, they're, they're trying to say, Job, what is your problem? Why don't you get on, on board this external control psychology bus exactly. with us? And yes. Job's, Job's like supporting and encouraging and listening, accepting, trusting, respecting, negotiating difference the whole time without going into this other thing. And they think mm -hmm. he's nuts and crazy mm -hmm. for it. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. how bad do things have to get before you're finally going to try to change the world that you're living in instead of just accepting it because you found peace in your heart? How can you have peace in your heart when all these horrible things are going on around external to you? And I, I never used to see the story of Job that way, mm. but, but, you know, th so the, and I don't know that I have an answer to the problem of evil either. I just, I think it's a fun thought experiment. Well, it's yeah, and it's you know it's it's an, it's the it's the big one, right? Like if I'm ever doubting God, which of course I do because I'm a human, and you know I'm not yeah. I'm not ashamed to admit that you know that, yeah. that I have doubts as well, and that but that's always the one, right? You're like, well, okay, yeah. but the Holocaust, you know, yeah, um, all all kinds of things, and and how how do you find the hidden gifts, the things to really be appreciative of and grateful for in an organization mm -hmm. like the Mormon church. Mm -hmm. um, because, it, you know, if, if, if we're going to say, I, I now believe in and fully worship a God that is full of grace. And that's what I want to emulate on this earth. I, I want to be a, a person and have a heart that is unconditionally loving of everyone, but mm -hmm. not them. <laughs> <laughs> that, that seems like, oh, I've been there. I've played that yeah. game before. Yeah. And, and how do I do it where I really, truly mean it? Oh, and mm -hmm. even them. Right. And, and what is it that's going on? How is it that I can, could love? And, and so that I don't become one of those people that is projecting my own uh, deficit onto mm -hmm. others and then saying, that's something that I can't accept because that's a form of self uh, rejection, uh, yeah. self denial. Sure. Um, rather than fully accepting the wholeness of, of everything, which I think is, is where that uh, idea of grace is so powerful. Hmm. Um, anyway, we've, we've, we've gone a little bit over the hour. I could talk to you about these ideas. I, I wrote down so many notes as I was going through your book. Oh, is, awesome. is there anything that you wanted to talk about or you, you hope to say that um, hasn't come up in the course of our discussion so far, Katie? No, I, I think just, you know, one thing that occurs to me just, just to, just to sort of mention or to name, um, as we've been talking about, um, this question of, of grace and even extending it, you know, toward the people who have hurt us or the systems that have hurt us or things like that. I, I think if there's, if there's one thing I hope that the book does is um it's to show grace like even to the mormon church mm -hmm. which is not to say that it's excused for the harm that it does 
and that it did to me. Um, but it is to say that even that harm um, can be forgiven and even there can be good and hope and healing and peace that come out of that even a very painful kind of situation. Yeah. Um, Why did you title the book Sealed? Well, you will discover that as you continue to the end. Um, But it's really, it's really playing with the word from a a Mormon standpoint versus a a kind of more grace-based standpoint where in Mormonism, to be sealed um, is to have your family held hostage in a lot of ways. It's like, we're going to, we're going to take them away from you if you don't do all these things. Uh, But in a grace based world, it's to understand that we're already sealed uh, to one another and to God Mm -hmm. by the love and grace of God. Yeah. Um, And that it's already a gift that we've, that we've received. We don't have to, we don't have to be afraid of it going away. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I love that. And I, I actually had this idea a while ago. I'm sure I've talked about it on the podcast before, but that my, my, my view of Joseph Smith has softened Hmm. a bit over the years um, where I, I, I feel like there were things that he was, picking up on about truth and reality that he was trying to communicate, um, but then got sucked into a lot of the, the power mm-hmm. and you know, to some of these other things. Yeah. But, but w- one of those things that I think he was trying to communicate to people was this very idea of a grace mm-hmm. that is already part of, it, it doesn't need to be given to you. But I, I, I think that when he was teaching that, people weren't accepting it. They didn't believe it because they had been shaped and formed by their Protestant view that was telling them about their own sin and guilt. Yeah. And so he said, well, let's, let's create an ordinance. Then we'll have this rite of passage where you can go from feeling like you're not sealed. And then you go through this, this ritual, which is what rituals do and have done all throughout history. Hmm. We're going to do this transformation. So now you feel like you are sealed. Truly, you always have been, but you just didn't feel like you were. Now Hmm. we're going to go through this thing. I'm going to teach you this and you're going to come out of it feeling like you are. And of course, then that symbol, that that ritual gets twisted, twisted and and into exactly what it has become today, Mm -hmm. where now it's like, if you don't do all the things, then you're going to lose this thing. It's pretty tenuous here, you know, yeah, (laughs) yeah. but anyway, I, so I, I think I share a similar view of, hmm. of um, what it means to be connected yeah. to, to, to humans, even though we have this sense of separateness yeah. um, and what, what it means to, to strive for a life that is filled with grace, whether we're calling it grace or we're calling it something else. And whether it's through Christian symbols or it's through new age symbols or Buddhist symbols or whatever, atheist humanistic symbols wherever it is um yeah that's anyway that's a very generous uh read of joseph smith i like it 
Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've made some shifts there. <laughs> In my less generous days, I'm like, ah, he just made that up so that he could have multiple affairs, but that that's more generous what you just said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think he, he, he quickly learned how it could be used to facilitate those sure. things as well. Yeah. But. yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Katie. And yeah, uh, where, thank you where, for can, me. where can people find you and where can people find your book? Sure. So you can find the book. Um, it's called Sealed, An Unexpected Journey into the Heart of Grace. And you can find it wherever fine books are sold, uh, mostly online, um, Amazon or IndieBound, bookshop.org, if you prefer supporting independent um, booksellers. And you can find me. Uh, I have a website, katielangston.com. You can go to the publisher, thornbushpress.com. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Katie. I hope we get to do this again sometime. Yeah, you too. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this night. I'll be the hero You've been dreaming of We're gonna live forever Forever Knowing together That we did it all For the glory of love Again, we're defining the divine And so in as much as The divine could be Defined as everything And it is all-encompassing Everything that's all around us, all of our thought, everything that is spiritual, the entire the realm of ideas, all of uh, the universe, all of knowledge, human knowledge, everything that we have accumulated, all of that can be encompassed within the divine. And in as much as that's the case, that's not hidden. But why do you think that your God has designed the universe in such a way where the average person can't? even come close to understanding it. So well, can I, can I, can I back up and say, John, do you believe that there's a God that designed the universe? So I think that the problem with just even the concept of intelligent design is generally speaking that that's an anthropomorphism. Yeah. So in other words, we're imagining God as a guy who's designing something, you know, as opposed right. to that we have all of this thing that we are experiencing all of this universe, you know, and so which exists and is has all of these things that we can learn about. 
Uh, and in learning about all of that, that is, that's our exploration. Why don't we know about it? We haven't known anything throughout all of time. We, are, we have been people who have been massively more limited in all of our knowledge. The people, people at the beginning of, of civilization, so at the very beginning of literacy, there are geniuses. The person who wrote the Epic of Gilgamesh already has a um, concept of mortality that is a thousand times more sophisticated than, you know, later, what later Christians are worrying about, you know, thousands of years later than that. Uh, and it's, it's sobering and amazing that anybody was so um, amazingly uh, intelligent and thoughtful all the way back to the very, you know, beginnings of, of when there's even writing. And yet, um, so do we, we, we've only been getting more and more and more knowledge and ever, than we've ever had before. So I shouldn't imagine that we would already understand absolutely everything about the universe. It's not, not possible, probably, because we ourselves are finite beings within the universe. And the amount of things that there are to know is probably infinite. So therefore, there's a, a, um, a divide there that was just, Eternal, yeah, but but, <laughs> so. but like you're uh, so if you're if your God exists, can can I can I call time out and Randy? Just can I ask you to not say your God and like because I I think the way that John says it is the divine and okay. like trying to stay away from God at but, all and and to say the the divine. Okay, so John, yeah, uh-huh. uh, the the divine that you ascribe to is either unwilling, incapable, or has some other design on, you know, not making himself more um, understandable, accessible. And people, you know, throughout the millennia have been fighting each other over what, you know, their, their, um, you know, ideas of God is, is the true one. And if anyone else contradicts it then they must die yeah uh so is it part of the divine that you ascribe to is is that part of his design or is he incapable or how do you see that do you i mean do you understand the question so yeah yeah of course so so people have acted uh not only in the name of of god but also in all kinds of gods right name throughout all of human history based on their understanding and their conception of where they are at and what they've, how they've been able to perceive the divine and perceive the universe. Or even an ideology like Nazism. An ideology like, you know, so yeah, certainly. So, and which I don't even think is actually particularly different. So I think that when you have an atheist ideology, whatever, like Stalinism or, or Nazism, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's not that that's atheists are bad or something. It's some, rather this is a, is a this is a something that people do. And in fact, it's not. I, even though it's overtly atheist in some ways, there's a lot of religions that are overtly atheist. Like Buddhism may not believe in God as it's defined by Westerners, right? right. But I think that ultimately, everybody actually, whether or not people uh, reject the word God or the divine or however you want to define it. I think that ultimately people do have a belief, whether or not they're aware of what it is, because they may well believe that there are underlying physical laws of the universe or whatever the thing is that they have, you know, maybe they're actually nihilists 
then they at least believe in nothing. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> you know, in other words, that there may be something, and then you're defining God as nothing. You know, but that is a um, that is it's it's been open throughout all of human history, and it is only a modern phenomenon when we have decided to have this very very explicit picture of God that we don't personally believe in, and then we reject it, which I call rejectionism. And so that is it, that's a new thing, and it has existed in the modern times, and it hasn't existed previously in human history. And so what it does, and what modernism has done, is cut us off from our roots and cut us off from empathy and understanding everybody that went before us, which where they were not believing in a modern conception of God, they were believing in something else, and we are not listening to them because we are considering them as having believed in our modern conception that we have created and then rejected so i i want to i want to go back to randy's question and explore some of the assumptions that i'm hearing in it and and just to see if this stacks up john with the way that you conceive of the divine because i I, i've heard you say in the past that the divine is undefinable right it's unfathomable we right. just, we just can't really understand it, and what, what I what I think I hear you saying, Randy, is that that there is some divine that actually has an awareness of itself, an awareness of us, a, a, a will and a desire and a purpose, and all of these things that are kind of anthropomorphizing onto this divine, and and I'm not I I don't know, John, if that even fits with. Right. I, so I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't said any of those things. Right. And so one of the ways theologians throughout time have defined the divine or God is what is called apathetic theology, which is you're a person who is more less willing to make those kind of positive claims that Randy is maybe positing and rejecting and saying instead that we can't define positive attributes of the divine. What we can instead say are the divine is not this, the divine is not that. So I'm perfectly happy with all kinds of apophatic theology, which is to say the divine is not a guy. The divine is not like a human who has, does all these petty things or is thinking in those kind of ways. You know, That's not what the divine is. So that's, but I'm not saying, therefore, in saying that, we're saying what the divine is not, not saying the divine is limited in this kind of way. And that is something that people have done for millennia. So that is part of the conversation that continues to exist. It's not something I'm just made up. <laughs> so. Yeah, but the the divine is still, your divine is still not very accessible to the common man. And right. I, find, I find that troubling. I, I would disagree with that, though. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, if I, and I still don't completely understand, John, what, what your divine is. But, like, I think about so many rituals that different people have in the world that connect them to something that they feel is outside of themselves. Maybe it's not outside of themselves, but it's, it raises them to a different state that they would consider divine or it stimulates their thoughts. All sorts of these spiritual practices that are like what I'm talking about when I talk about introspection, when you're trying to get at what your root beliefs are, when you're trying to connect down to what you truly believe, when you're connecting, therefore, that's spiritual practice. And that's what I would define as spiritual practice. And so to Randy's point, does does my God, um, if he doesn't find your keys... I didn't say that. (laughs) 
I didn't well, say yes. your God. Uh, that's edited out. <laughs> okay, well, before we said, does my God find your keys? No, my God doesn't find your keys. Well, what's the point? <laughs> if my God won't find your keys for you, what's the point, right? So it is, it is harder to explain what the point is. It is much easier to have the black and white God of the fundamentalists. The main problem that fundamentalists have with their black and white God is that that God doesn't exist. Yeah, but the divine created our brains to be kind of black and white, to be in group out group. And 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 the result of all this is is tribalism. My god versus, you know, the other tribe's god. And it just seems really really inefficient. But 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 when you like still I you're like the divine created like I, I get stuck on that Randy because if 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 you forget about any idea of god and you just look at natural selection and evolution and you say that's the way that our god would create it like what would you call that nature like nature created but there wasn't like some will that you're ascribing to that or some design that you're describing to that it just came about well, and evolved and so couldn't that, that be that, the divine uh, you know and, and it's, it's not something that has a will or a design to it it's just higher ideas like you know these eternal spiritual ideas and that even having this conversation right now where we're exploring ideas is a way of connecting to the divine well if i can't ascribe to the um the divine as having a purpose or some kind of you know consciousness then it's superfluous and just go with the natural fucking world because that's how things work and everything makes sense when you go with the natural world well then the natural world is the divine to you in other words, you're defining it that way. What is the purpose of the donor there? Just, you know, I don't need to ascribe divine to it. I just say it's a natural world. I don't. I don't but have to but add. But the divine. point of it is, that's what you're saying. In other words, in the whole course of all of civilization, that's how people have therefore defined that. You're just rejecting the term. Yeah, but you you always talk about is a god worthy of worship, and if he's just this knucklehead that started this. <laughs> this system that causes so much gratuitous suffering. Um, and maybe we should talk about the problem of evil because, but we've already rejected that. We've already said that's not God. That's not divine. Okay. <laughs> so we don't need to keep going back to that, you know, but, but if, if what I'm saying is, is, is if, if, uh, like, is your God, I, I just said it. Sorry. All right. <laughs> is your God worthy of worship either? If he's just kind of, playing with you know natural laws but but, but I, I don't know so why you need i don't know he's why not I, there I, I he's not play, he's not a guy who's playing with natural laws rather what we're talking about is instead of thinking of a guy which we keep on coming back to who's yeah, doing I, stuff, I don't know how else to think about it <laughs> well think of it as being wisdom all of intelligence the yeah. idea of intelligence itself you should think that before you even think of a guy and I think, mean, in other words, that's like much the, more close to what I'm even talking about. Think of the pursuit so. of, of knowledge, Randy, how important that is to you. And the, 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 using the scientific approach as a way of learning new things and testing and proving new things. It's, you've got this drive to learn and explore the mysteries of the universe. Like th there's nothing God about that. But I think that's, that's akin to what John's saying is the yeah. divine. But what I, what I just keep getting hung up, hung up on is how disappointed I am <laughs> in, in the divine's creations 
um, how few of them have this intellectual curiosity to yeah. really to really find the divine and 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 to find and and to search out true knowledge, not just dogma, but like knowledge. It's just it's just it's just, it's 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 depressing. <laughs> Do you understand where I'm coming from, John? Yeah, but I just, I don't, I guess I don't, I'm, you're, you have some different expectations for people than I do. Right. So I guess I'm not disappointed constantly by people the way you are, because I guess I don't assume that people are all going to be like me. They're not like me in all kinds of different ways. They're, we're like them. Yeah, and but I, I live in America. Home. I don't live in Canada. <laughs> and uh, the vast majority of the people I come in contact with believe in angels are real. And believe yeah. that evolution is just an idea, yeah. and and it's 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 so despairing to see to see even the legislation that's that's that they're trying to push in the southern states about sure. science education. It's like oh my god, are we, we're going backwards, right? And so the way that we can help all those people is by providing them with alternative religion that isn't based on this kind of nonsense you know which is leading them down this really bad stupid path that is actually having legal legislative consequences so instead if we don't abandon them you know just because they um they don't they're not able to everybody's able to go to graduate school they're able to spend all this time thinking of this stuff they have other things they have to do that is very important with their family and every other thing so but if they if everybody has abandoned them and the only thing they can do is go to a mega church where the person tells them oh it's all simple just read here in leviticus blah 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 you know give money give money <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and then and then just vote for us and we'll we'll get rid of all of the the dumb scientists who want to teach evolution to your kids or whatever it is by making it illegal well that, what can you what can you blame them? They don't have any alternative. They just wanted to go somewhere to raise their kids in a, in a in a good church or something like that. They just had that idea, but then there but there were no alternatives. So that's yeah. why that's so my, why my we need to, to instead um, provide something where we can you know explain. No, this is how we can be connected to all of our heritage without viewing it in this very bad negative way where we're throwing away all of our future. Yeah, and so my answer to that is, if if there is a divine, why can't he do better job? Is is he incompetent? Randy, stop! You're stop a it. fundamentalist. You want the divine to do all these dumb things that the fundamentalist God does? I'm just doesn't saying, man. It, I know it doesn't work that way because there's no divine, but <laughs> I just no, no, no fundamentalist. If, if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna. Add on an, an additional assumption, and we're talking about Occam's law here. Um, I just think that that additional assumption should add more than it does, and that, that's all I'm saying. And you know, you, your your divine is something I could totally embrace because when we talk, like we agree on about ninety nine point five percent of everything we talk about. And uh, and you're a believer. You're on one side of the fence, and I'm an atheist on the other side of the fence. And I find that really fascinating. But you guys both believe in the same thing, Randy. You're just calling it something different, and you're not hearing. Like, like you keep going back to divine and calling it he. And, and John's like, no, that's not what I believe. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of a um, crutch. <laughs> that's hard, <laughs> it's hard to, like, throw away. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I, I for thirty well, where, where, years where, of my life, I, I believe that he was a dude on in the Kolob solar system. So, right. so to, I just have a different perspective of this by by going back to looking at what people are writing throughout all of history. So I just spend all of my time in ancient and medieval texts, and I look at what people in the past have have thought about this, and I don't have a a, a view that is based on just what people thought for the last hundred and fifty years. Yeah. So that's why when you even say cynicism, I'm like, well, don't be so mean to the cynics. They were really, yeah. <laughs> they were, they were the great philosophers, the, you know. The, yeah, the cynics of the 12th century were yeah, awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jesus was a cynic. Thanks for right, right. to Infants on Thrones.